Uh, Now this morning, we're continuing our Origins series. We're in part seven. That slide is wrong. Um, It's not six. That was last week. Um, It's been kind of a long week around here. Um, But uh, this is part seven. Uh, Sibling rivalry is what we're talking about this morning. Um, And uh, if you've been around here, you know that we've been in this series for a while now, seven weeks. Uh, We started in the beginning of Genesis. We've been walking through uh, the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, Um, and really taking a look at what is God's purpose uh, for creation, what's his plan here, what's our role in it, what are we supposed to do, really trying to figure out who God is and what does he want from us and for us. Um, And so we're going to continue that uh, this morning, Uh, but before we get into the text for this morning, uh, I want to ask you a question just to kind of set the stage here. Um, Have any of you known someone who, uh, maybe in a particular area of life or maybe in all of their life, just things seem to work out for them. For, for whatever reason, like you can't figure out why. It's not that they're extremely talented or, or extremely hardworking. It just seems like they just get lucky a lot. You guys know people like that? You know somebody like that? You can think of somebody, you got somebody in your mind uh, who you can think of like that. Uh, well, today we're going to look at somebody who it appears just got lucky. But we're going to look behind the scenes and kind of try and figure out, uh, was there something to that? Was there something uh, different about this person? Was there something uh, that we can learn, that we can emulate in in order to help us receive that kind of blessing? And we're going to take a look at that story uh, here in just a few minutes. Um, But I know that you've met somebody like this. Um, I have people in my life like this. I shared last week uh, about my daughter who is is like this in the area of schoolwork, right? She just, it's just easy for her. Um, That's not because her parents are incredibly talented uh, or incredibly smart. I promise you it's not because of that. Um, She just got lucky uh, in that area. Now, take me, for example. I got lucky in a very particular area um, when it came to uh, getting married. Um, I can't figure out still to this day why uh, my wife said yes to me. I mean, I'm not that great of a person, but my wife is amazing. Uh, leagues above, uh, out of my league. I mean, just incredibly out of my league. She's, she's smart. She's funny. She's kind, so much kinder than I am. Um, she's beautiful. Uh, just amazing, amazing woman. I really got lucky. On a completely unrelated note, Valentine's Day is Thursday, in case you you were wondering. But seriously, I got lucky. And you know somebody who's gotten lucky like that. And so we're going to take a look today um, at, at the story of two brothers. Um, really, uh, over the course of time, we're going to look at how these brothers' lives played out, how their relationship with one another played out. And one seems to get lucky and the other seems to not get lucky. But we're going to take a deeper look at that. Now, if you've been reading along with us in our Bible reading plan, uh, you know that we've been reading a chapter a day through Genesis. And then on Sunday, Pastor Darren and I will come and preach uh, from one of those chapters or a passage in that text. Somewhere in there, we'll, we'll bring that message uh, to the platform uh, here on on Sundays. This week's going to be a little bit different uh, because I think in order to understand what God has for us, in order to see what he wants us to see, uh, we kind of have to take a broader look at the text that we read over the last week, uh, but we're actually going to back up even a little bit further than that to the text from not last Friday, but the Friday before uh, Genesis chapter 25, because that's where we get introduced to these two brothers. That's where we figure out um, who they are, and our first encounter with them happens in that text. 
Now, what happens here is uh, we've got two brothers who are born to Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac and Rebekah, um, Isaac is the son of Abraham. Um, Abraham is the one who God called initially out of uh, his father's home, called him to leave the land that he knew to follow God. And he said, hey, if you'll follow me, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And all the people of the earth will be blessed because of you. And God gave Abraham this incredible promise. Abraham believed him and followed God, uh, went where God showed him to go, had a lot of encounters with God and different things that happened, eventually had a son. That son's name was Isaac. Well, Isaac um, became the heir of that promise. Uh, the promise was passed from Abraham to Isaac. Isaac then got married um, and couldn't have children initially, prayed to God, God, would you give my wife um, some children? And, and Rebecca ends up pregnant. Now, Rebecca is pregnant but the pregnancy isn't going like she thinks it should. Um, there's something happening in her. She can feel it happening, and she's a little bit concerned about it. And so she goes to the Lord, and, and she seeks God and says, God, what's going on here? And God gives her this prophecy that says, there are two nations within you that are going to be at odds um, for their lifetime, that they're, they're going to fight with one another. Um, and so there's this prophecy that unfolds. Before these brothers are even born we see uh, that there's going to be a problem with these two brothers. And sure enough, the time comes, Rebecca has the kids, uh, twins are born, twin boys. The first one, his name uh, is Esau, and the second one, his name is Jacob. Now Esau came out, um, the text tells us that Esau came out uh, red and covered in hair, um, and that's why they named him Esau. And his brother Jacob came out holding his heel, actually grasping his heel um, as he came out and into the world. And that's what we find out about these two brothers. We also learn from the text that um, Esau loved to hunt. He was a skilled hunter, loved to go out and hunt. Um, but Jacob, he stayed close to the encampment and, and stayed close to uh, the tents. And so um, the two brothers are very, very different in their personality, in their uh, nature, in their desires, in their giftings. We see that from the very beginning. And so after some time had passed, uh, one day we find the brothers, um, Esau has gone out to hunt and Jacob has stayed in the tents and we come across this text in the end of Genesis chapter 25, it says this, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted and Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. What use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear it to me now. So he, sold, he, so he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now, our really surface level reading in this text, we see Jacob as not quite, uh, well, we, we won't call him a bad guy yet, but we'll say he's an opportunist, right? Jacob in this scenario seems like an opportunist. Hey, there's an opportunity for me to, to gain something, to get ahead. I'm going to take advantage of that opportunity and, and lean into that. Now, depending on um, your upbringing culture, you may have various opinions about uh, Jacob's character based on his action here. But I want to explain a little bit more what's going on. I want you to really understand what's happening um, here. Uh, this concept of birthright, we don't get this. It's not just an inheritance. We understand the concept of inheritance, um, that when somebody passes away,
away, they leave a portion of their things, their goods, their wealth, their property, whatever it is, they leave a portion of that to whomever they might choose to leave it to. Um, But in this culture, in this day, that's not how things worked. Uh, The way things worked in this day is that uh, when your father would pass away, everything he owned, all of his property, everything, uh, would be passed on to the sons uh, that he had. And so, uh, but it wasn't passed on exactly evenly. In fact, everything would be divided up um, into even portions, and then the firstborn son would get a double portion of that inheritance. And so, in, in the brother's case here, Esau and Jacob, what was going to happen is when Isaac passed, everything he owned, all of his property, all of his wealth, would be divided into three, not two, but into three. Esau would get two-thirds, and Jacob would get one-third. So that paints a little bit different picture of Jacob. You can see how Jacob was like, hey, this isn't fair. Like, just because I came out two seconds later, like, I'm I'm getting half the amount, right? What's up with that? And so, but Jacob, seeing an opportunity, says, hey, I'm going to write this wrong. I'm going to convince Esau uh, to sell that to me for this stew. And so he does that, and Esau buys into it and agrees to that um, opportunity. Now, we look at Esau as kind of a victim when we read it from our American culture, our perspective here. But I want you to understand um, that that's not the way the original audience would have understood this. See, Esau is just as guilty in this as Jacob from the original audience's perspective. Esau, being the firstborn, should have been uh, working with his father, um, taking care of the sheep, taking care of uh, the tents, taking care of the property and wealth. He should have been involved in his father's business. And where is he? He's out hunting like he usually was. We see in the text, he was a skilled hunter. He often went hunting. Uh, some of you are going, yeah, that absolutely makes sense to me, right? Of course he was going hunting. I um, mean, that's where Esau was. He's out hunting. Uh, and he comes in and he says, I'm starving. Is he really starving to death? I mean, he's talking to his brother. He's having a conversation. So he can't be that close to death. Um, but he's hungry and he, he does want something to eat. Uh, but his willingness to give this up, to give this position up, to give this right up so quickly really paints him in this negative light for the original audience of, I don't really care about my heritage. I don't really care about my culture. I don't really care about my family values, about what's important to my parents. I don't care about that. All I care about is filling my stomach right now because I'm so hungry. And so from this first encounter, what we see is that uh, both of these brothers have some character flaws, some things about them that are not um, desirable, which is really interesting to me uh, because these are the sons, the grandsons actually of the promise. These are Abraham's grandsons. They're the ones that are supposed to be uh, fulfilling the promise that God gave to Abraham. They're the ones that are supposed to be made into great nation. Uh, They're the ones that are supposed to, uh, from them, is supposed to be this blessing for all people. But we see that there's kind of some character flaws within them. Now, Hopefully, as we continue the story, we're going to see that, uh, that, that their character gets worked out. But actually, um, you would think that that would be true. You would think that, hey, we're going to see that they started off not so good and that they're going to get better uh, at life. But actually what happens is uh, we just see them getting worse and worse. The next encounter uh, that we see uh, from Esau uh, takes place at the end of chapter 26. Um, and it tells us this, that when Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the, Hitt, um, Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Now, again, our culture says, what's the big deal? Like, he fell in love with 
two women. Okay, maybe not that part, but he fell in love and he got married. Um, and so he, uh, you know, uh, like that's the way it works. You get married and, and you've just got to make family work. You, you've got in-laws that you don't really care for. You've just got to make it work. You've got to figure out how to get along. Uh, but that's not the way it worked in their culture. In their culture, you didn't just marry anybody. And you certainly didn't marry Hittites. I mean, that was a, that was a no-no from the beginning. Um, these were people that, uh, that were considered lesser. They were considered uh, not, not um, proper for uh, people who, uh, from Abraham's tribe and descendant to, to marry. And yet um, Esau just goes out and does this. Again, we see Esau kind of devaluing his family heritage, devaluing his culture, putting that to the side in order to get what he once. And so we don't see any change from Esau over this time period. What about Jacob? Maybe Jacob is going to get it right. Maybe Jacob's going to turn the corner. Uh, And so we continue reading through the chapter and we're hopeful um, that Jacob is going to be like this amazing son. But what we find actually is the opposite. Jacob is still up to his old ways as well. As we continue on into chapter 27, uh, what we find is that um, Isaac is very old. His eyesight is starting to fail him. He's not sure how many years he has left. And so he calls his firstborn Esau in and says, um, Esau, come here. I, I want to give you my blessing. But before I do, would you go hunt for me one more time? I, I love the game that you're able to, to capture and prepare. Would you go hunt some wild game for me one more time? And then I will give you my blessing. Now, Jacob's mom, Rebecca, overhears this conversation and says, Jacob, come here real quick. Here's what we're going to do. I want you to go out and get a goat and bring it to me. And I'm going to prepare that goat, some of your father's favorite food, and you're going to take it into him, pretend to be your brother so that you can get the blessing. Right? Sounds like a great plan. Except that Esau is hairy and smells different from having been in the field all the time. Uh, and this is wild game. And Jacob's going to try and pull that off with a goat and smooth skin and not sounding or smelling like his brother. Um, and he voices those concerns to his mom. And mom says, it's okay. I got a plan. Here, put on your brother's clothes. And here, take this goat skin um, from the meal that we're preparing. And just put it on your arms and put it on your neck. And then you'll feel hairy, right? I mean, really, this is the plan, Okay. So this is what Jacob does. He does exactly what his mom tells him to do. He goes in there and says, Father, it's me. Um, Here I am with your meal. And and, um, Isaac is, uh, we almost think he's going to get wise to it. He says, says, how is it that you caught it and prepared it so quickly? And and Jacob says, well, the Lord your God uh, gave me favor. He was with me and he gave me favor in this moment. Uh, And so he continues on and Isaac says, I'm still not sure about this because... You are telling me you're Esau, but you sound like Jacob. Come close. And so Jacob comes close, and he smells him. And sure enough, he smells the clothes, and it smells like Esau. And he says, you smell like Esau, even though you sound like Jacob. And he feels his arms, and sure enough, they're hairy. He says, I guess this must be Esau. And so I'm going to go ahead and give you this blessing. Now understand the blessing. Uh, This was a common practice for fathers in this day, in this time frame, that they would, um, as they were about to to pass, that they would call their sons, sometimes more than one son, in and give them specific blessings. It's really a prayer, asking for God's favor in specific ways, asking God to, to watch over them, asking God to bless them in certain ways. It's by no means a guarantee of that, but it really is a prayer asking for this blessing 
to happen. Uh, and, and so Jacob receives that from his father. In fact, he receives this incredible blessing uh, that says he's going to rule over his brother, that he's going to have um, all of this blessing and wealth and incredible things uh, that uh, Jacob ha- or that Isaac has prayed for Jacob in this blessing. And so Jacob receives the blessing, uh, and then he leaves um, his father's presence. He goes out from uh, the tent, and, and probably to take the goat skin off, because I can't imagine that was comfortable. Um, but he leaves that place, and right behind him, here comes Esau. And Esau walks in and says, Father, here I am with the game that you've asked for. And, he's, and Isaac's like, well, who just left then? Because if you're here, who was that? And Esau says, I don't know. This is me. And, and, and Isaac says, it must have been your brother. I've just given him your blessing. And Esau's like, well, don't you have anything left for me? Can't you give me a blessing too? And so Jacob or Isaac complies, and he says, okay, Esau, here's your blessing. And when, if you read the text, it sounds a lot more like a curse than a blessing. In fact, he says, your brother's going to rule over you. It really sounds like a terrible, awful blessing that he gives to Esau, but it's all that Isaac has left to be able to give him as a blessing. And so he does that. And Esau's response is this. We read it in the end of 27. Esau says this, now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. That's Esau's response. I'm going to kill him. All right. So this is pretty much all of our information about these brothers. This is everything we know about their interactions. And so what we find from these encounters with these guys is this, that neither one of these brothers is worthy to be the heir of the promise that God gave to Abraham. Neither one of them deserves it. They both have character flaws. They're both undeserving. Neither one of them has gotten their stuff together as they've grown older. Neither one deserves this promise. And so uh, if I'm reading this text, knowing that, that God is doing this amazing thing, that God is going to bring this blessing, my assumption is these two are out, somebody new is in. But that's not what happens. What we find happening next is incredible. As we continue reading into chapter 28, what we find is um, Rebecca has overheard Esau's plot to kill his brother. And so Rebecca once again calls Jacob close and says, you've got to get out of here. Your brother is, is crazy with anger. He's going to kill you. You've got to flee and let your brother's anger subside, and then you can come back. Once he's calmed down, give him a few years to calm down, and then you can return and be safe. And so Jacob does that. He heads out. And so they come up with this plan to say, hey, I couldn't bear it if Jacob were also to marry one of these Hittite women. Send him back to my father's land. Send him back to my brother's house so that he can find a wife from our people. Isaac buys that story. They send him off, and Jacob is on his way. He's heading back to to the land that they came from uh, to find a wife uh, and to be safe from his brother. And on his way, he stops in this place, lays down and goes to sleep, and he has this incredible, incredible dream. And this is where the story picks up for us. This is what we find. In 28, he finds this. um, Jacob dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of the ladder reached to heaven. Behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east 
and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I promised to you. Now, this is not the encounter that we expect Jacob to have with God, is it? Like we expect that God's going to come to Jacob and say, Jacob, man, I, like I got a plan for you. I want to do something in your life with you. But here's the deal, man. You got to get it together first. Right? I mean, that's our expectation. Jacob, man, you, like, I, I want to do this thing, but you got to show me that you can handle this thing. You got to show me that, that you have the character to be the kind of man that God can use, right? You got to show me that you're good enough, Jacob. Come on, you can do it. I believe in you, Jacob. Let's get it together. That's our expectation. That's not what God does. God is good to Jacob, even though he doesn't deserve it. God is faithful to Jacob, even though he doesn't deserve it. God blesses Jacob, even though he doesn't deserve it. And don't miss this, because this is the God that we worship. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we praise. The God that we serve, the God that we praise, the God that we love, his blessing is not based on our worthiness. It is based on on his goodness. God's blessing is never based on our worthiness. It is based on his goodness. Now, even though that's true, even though God decides I'm going to be good to Jacob, I'm going to be faithful to Jacob, I'm going to bless Jacob, we still have the question in our minds, well, why Jacob? Why not Esau? Why not somebody else? Why Jacob? What was special about Jacob? Why is Jacob always getting lucky? Why does it just work out for him? I mean, he stole the birthright. He stole the blessing. Why does it just work out for Jacob? We don't know. We don't get to know. The scriptures tell us this about God. That his ways are not our ways, that his thoughts are not our thoughts, that his thoughts are higher than ours, his ways are higher than ours, that we can't comprehend the mind of the Lord. And so sometimes he does things, and we just don't get to know. We also see this uh, in the Old Testament, that God says, I look at the heart, not the outward of appearance of a man. Even though you look at what a man looks like, about what his character is, about how he acts, I look at his heart. I see the potential. I see something that you don't see. And so our assumption is that God saw something in Jacob and chose to be good to Jacob. It wasn't anything Jacob could choose. It wasn't anything that Jacob did. God just decided, I'm going to move in Jacob's life and and bless him. I'm, I'm choosing Jacob. I believe in Jacob. I choose Jacob. And I'm going to pour out my blessing on him. And you would think that when that happened, That Jacob would be like, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful, God. Yes, I will trust you. Yes, I'll worship you. Yes, I'll follow you. But that's not what happens. In fact, Jacob's response is a little bit two-sided. His initial response is this. Uh, Jacob makes a vow to God in that moment. It says, if God will be with me and keep me, notice the if there, uh, in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord will be my God. Now look at his response. He doesn't believe God initially. He doesn't trust God with it initially. He says, God, if you're going to do that, if you really are going to do that, 
If you really are going to be good to me, if you're really going to bless me, if you're really going to walk with me, if you do that, then I'll worship you. Then you'll be my God. Then I will set up this stone, which I have set as a pillar, and it'll be God's house, and I will give all that you give me, I will give a full tenth back to you, if you do this thing, God. I mean, that's Jacob's response. Even after this incredible encounter with God, he says, if God does this. But here's what happens. God does exactly what he said he was going to do. He's faithful to Jacob. And as we continue reading through the book of Genesis, what we find is that God continues to be good to Jacob. He blesses Jacob. He multiplies uh, the the, um, flocks that Jacob has. He does incredible things through Jacob, continues to bless him, pour into his life, because God's goodness is not based on our worthiness. It's based on who he is, on his faithfulness, on his goodness, on his righteousness. His blessing to us isn't based on our worthiness. It's based on his goodness. But Jacob does exactly what he says he's going to do. When God blesses him, he does what he says he's going to do. He says, God, if you're going to bless me, then you will be my God. And I love this phrase. I love this moment. Because Jacob's response uh, earlier when he was asked how he was able to get the game so quickly, do you remember what he said? He said, the Lord, your God, Isaac. Isaac, your God blessed me and and allowed me to do this. In this moment, what does he say? You will be my God. You'll be the one that I worship. I'm gonna let go of these other things. I'm gonna set them aside. I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna follow you. You're going to be my God. And see, this is our response to God's favor is to make him our God. He's a jealous God. He wants to be the one and only God. He wants you to say of him, he is my God, my one true God, my one and only God. This is the God that I worship. This is the God that I serve, the one true God, this one God. And here's the thing, so many of us, so many of us, have received blessing from God. We've received goodness from God. We've received things that God has done in our lives. He's been good to us. He's been faithful to us. And we've said, thanks, God. And then we turn around and we worship something else, like our money, our relationships. We've made our careers our God. We've made other things our God. They compete with our God. They're in this position to say, God, I'm so thankful that you've given me this, but I also want to make sure that my future is secure, so I'm going to make sure that I'm holding on to this and and trusting my money to protect me, trusting my money, my savings, my retirement to take care of me. Uh, God, I'm so glad that you have blessed me, but but I need to make sure that I have enough in my uh, account, enough in my pantry that I don't go hungry. I'm so glad, God, that you've blessed me blessed me, but, but really, God, uh, you're not enough to satisfy this hunger, and so I'm going to reach for this bottle because it makes me feel better than you do, God. Or I'm going to reach into this relationship, and, and this relationship is going to be uh, my God. I'm going to serve this more than I serve you. I'm going to prioritize this more than I prioritize you because this makes me feel good. Guys, this is not the response of Jacob, and it is not our response. When God pours out his blessing. We respond by making him our God, 
our one and only God, the one God that we serve, that we worship. And, and, and Jacob goes as far as to establish uh, this, this um, principle of tithing. He says, I'm going to give to you a tenth of everything you give to me, God, because I worship you. I trust you. You're going to be my God. And Jacob was blessed. God took care of him, did incredible things. As you read through uh, the rest of Genesis, you're going to find that God did exactly what he said he was going to do, that God blessed him. But with all the blessing that Jacob received, I can't help but think of the blessing that we've received and how much greater that blessing is, even though we didn't deserve it. See, the scriptures tell us this, that what we deserve is separation from God and death for eternity. And we deserve that, the scriptures tell us, because we have all sinned. None of us has kept God's standard. Uh, His standard is perfection. His standard is uh, to be uh, perfectly righteous uh, for all time, to to have never made a mistake, to have never messed up. And you go, man, that, that sounds really, really difficult. It is. In fact, it's impossible to meet that standard. And none of us have done it. None of us have been able to keep God's standard. Now, I'm not saying that you're an awful, terrible, wicked person. You're probably not as bad as Jacob and Esau, to be honest with you. You probably have more character than they did, but it doesn't matter because this is the truth. God says, unless you are perfect, then you're guilty of breaking the law. And you go, well, well how do I know what the law is? What, 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 how do I know what I'm supposed to do? It's not fair for God to hold me to the standard that I didn't know what it was. But this is what he says. He says, if anyone knows what the right thing to do is and doesn't do it, for that person, that's sin. And I don't know a single person who has known the right thing to do every single time and been able to do it. All of us have been in situations where we've known the right thing to do, and yet we couldn't do it. We didn't do it. We've broken that law. And so all of us deserve separation from God. We deserve, to be, um, we deserve the wrath of God poured out on us. We deserve this consequence of death. But remember, God's favor, God's blessing is never based on our worthiness. It's based on his goodness. And he was so good to us that he sent his son Jesus who was fully God, and at the same time was fully man. God incarnate came to this earth, born to the virgin as a baby, and lived a sinless, perfect life, the life that we couldn't live, and then willingly went and took our place on that cross. The death that we deserve was poured out on Jesus. The wrath that we deserve was poured out on Jesus. The separation that we deserve was poured out on Jesus. He took all of it to the cross, was buried and rose three days later and told us this, that if we would put our trust in him, that we could find new life, life free from sin, life free from the consequence, life free from that, because all of that was laid on Jesus. Not only do we get to escape the consequence, not only do we get to say, look how lucky I am that God allowed me to have this thing, that God allowed me to escape, not only that, but the scriptures tell us this, that God's love for us was so great that he lavished it upon us and made us sons and daughters of God. 
We don't get to just escape the punishment. The blessing isn't just heaven. The blessing is this. We have God with us. God is on our side. He's promised to never leave us. He's promised to be with us. We are his sons and daughters. It is an incredible blessing that God has poured out on us and certainly one that we don't deserve. Far greater than the blessing given to Jacob. Far greater than anything Jacob thought he was getting in this relationship with God. We have been made sons and daughters of God. And so our response to that should be this. To make the Lord our God, our one and only God. And so I'm going to ask you this morning to stand up right where you are. And to join me in that declaration and in praising God and worshiping him and declaring to the heavenly realms that God is your one and only God, that he is my God, that there is none other that we love, that we worship, that we serve than this God. As we do that, I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward and be available down front. Because some of you in this room have never made that decision. You, you don't know this God like we know this God. You haven't entered into that relationship. And I want to invite you this morning, man, if you need to meet Jesus, if you need to find him for the first time, if you want to find this God who loves you so much, if you want to find this blessing that he's poured out to you, if you want to be brought into his family and into the kingdom, then won't you please come and pray with us this morning? Some of you might need help. Maybe a long time ago you said, yeah, yeah, I I love God, I trust God, uh, but I can't let go of this thing. I can't let go of this relationship. I can't let go of this financial struggle. I can't let go of this career drive. I can't let go of this thing. And you've got an idol. You've got a thing that you're worshiping that is not God. And you need somebody to help you bring it to the throne and lay it down this morning. Would you come pray with us? Come and meet the Lord as we declare him as our one and only God.